Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning. The singing was okay, I guess. I mean... No, I, I was trying to say something different. Patrick always comes up here and say, had, talks about how great it was. I, I just wanted to let you know it's going to be a little bit different that I'm up here today. No, it, it, I don't think it could have been any better. Hey, uh, Patrick did talk about how God is moving, how the church nationwide, worldwide is growing, and we have an example of that. So Nathan and Corianne Stout are, are with us. Here they are. Here's their picture up here. Here they are waving right here. We are glad that they want to be a part of this journey and be a part of this family. So we're really welcome you guys. Uh, so, yeah. So, so Nathan works uh, with Michaela, right? There, yeah, right beside him. And Corianne does beautiful paintings for weddings, things like that. Good artist. So uh, really glad that you guys are with us. Um, Alex, if you didn't catch, I think you probably heard Patrick. So Alex read the scripture this morning, uh, and it's his birthday today. So when he was saying 30, 31, he's turning 31 today. Uh, He read from Hebrews chapter 3, and Hebrews chapter 3 is a quote from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 kind of tells the story of the Israelites, uh, specifically from a couple of passages in Exodus but it is their travels through the desert, which is where we're going to be. And if I was going to highlight anything from that passage that Alex read uh, here at this point this morning, is that part that says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Does the book of Numbers excite you? Uh, who's, yeah, Pat, Patrick's the one and only, I think. Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of things that are exciting about the Bible. I don't think that numbers is boring just because it's in the Bible or just because it's in the Old Testament. Uh, we actually have things that are in our life that are boring as well, but, and yet important. So how many of you have been to a graduation, you know, child's graduation? Like I specifically remember my oldest two graduations from Lipscomb University and you're there and they're reading the names and they're reading the names and they're reading the names, and they're reading. It's hours long, many times, and depending on the size, but many times, those names are very important to somebody there. Most of them, I had no clue who they were, and they were not important to me, but there was one that was, And, and you're waiting for that. So there are things in our life that maybe are boring, and yet they are still very, very important. The title of the book, Numbers, does not help us. That does not excite us. Uh, I I think most people do not like math. I actually happen to be one of them. So, you know, it's probably 50-50, but it seems like the people who don't like math get the loudest voice. So the title doesn't help us. It started from the Greek translation of the Old Testament back before Jesus came. Somebody titled it in a way that some numbers is kind of stuck. But I will say that for the Hebrew people, For the Israelites, they don't call it numbers. They call it one of two things. They either call it in the wilderness, which is kind of story, or they call it from the very first word of the book in Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord spoke. 
The Lord spoke to Moses. And the Lord spoke is the very first word in Hebrew. And the Lord spoke is, the Lord spoke to Moses is used 60 times in the book of Numbers. The Lord spoke, or some version of that, is used 150 times in the book of Numbers. In 20 different ways or so is what they, I'm told. So, but I think that is a much more appropriate title. And it is much more exciting to realize that we are reading what the Lord spoke. It's impossible to discuss the meaning of numbers without talking about Exodus and Leviticus and the things that have come before. Uh, all of them are concerned with God's promises to Abraham, which we read about in Genesis in our reading. Uh, and, and then you, you get to Exodus, you get to Leviticus. Leviticus focuses on the holiness and cleanness. All of them are talking about the molding of Israel into God's holy people, holy people of God. Numbers reiterates, reiterates the value of obedience and faith, and it is focused on the rest of the journey. So it's a story of people who lived between this salvation from Egypt, you know, uh, and, and this salvation that culminates or its fulfillment when they get to the promised land. Um, we live in much the same way. We have our salvation in Jesus Christ has been given, and yet we are awaiting its fulfillment, and we are awaiting our entrance into our promised land. The beginning of Numbers begins as the Israelites wrap up their almost one-year stay at the base of Mount Sinai. Sometimes we lose sight of that when we're reading through. They, it only took them like three months to leave Egypt and get to Sinai if that, and then they're there for almost a year. And if you read Exodus 19, Exodus 40, and Numbers chapter 1, it kind of talks about the dates and the month of the year, and you see that. So they've been at Mount Sinai for a year, and now Numbers is the rest of the journey, and they're going to be moving again. So that pillar of cloud that they followed all through out of Egypt and all through the desert has been just sitting in one place above Mount Sinai. And they've been staying there because they're following that, and it just sat there for almost a year. All of a sudden, after a year, it rises, it starts to move, so they start to move. That's the beginning of the story. It's Numbers chapter, uh, uh, Numbers chapter 1 talks about the census. That's where we get all these names, and, and we don't know all those names, so it's, it's hard for us to know, but it is important to somebody. Chapter 2, the tribes are counted. They're told how to set up camp. And so they put the tabernacle that Patrick talked about, all of the scriptures in Exodus talking about the tabernacle, they put it in the center of camp. The Levites, the tribe of Levi, surround that. They're camped around the tabernacle. And then the other 12 tribes, so they sit, they surround that. And there's three on each side. So um, I, I want to... Uh, uh, look at that. But before we do that, um, there's a lot of complaining that goes on on this road trip as they're about to travel. And, and if you've ever been on a road trip and you've ever heard some kind of complaining. So I borrowed this book from Dave and Dana Pritchard. Uh, so the name, the, the name of the, I, don't, I forgot the name of the book. I'm sorry. The, it's a book about all the national parks. And it highlights all the great things about the national parks with one exception Along with the highlights of the national parks, it always gives one real complaint that somebody had. Uh, and so the first one, we're going to start a little close to home. Uh, this is the Isle Royale National Park. 
It's in our Lake Superior. I think Michigan claims Isle Royale, but it's our lake, right? Our Lake Superior. Isle Royale National Park, someone said there's no cell service and terrible Wi-Fi. All right, yeah, you've got a deserted island, uninhabited, that's pristine, and you complain about no cell service, terrible Wi-Fi. Another one, move a little bit farther west. The only bad, the only thing bad about these lands is the entire experience. (laughs) These are real complaints. I don't know how you, but yes. All right, the next one, I'm going to let you guess this one. Save yourself some money and boil some water at home. Where's that? What national park? Yellowstone, right. How can you go to Old Faithful where the thing erupts like on the minute every time faithfully and you say save yourself some money and boil some water at home. All right, and the last one, they do all, all of them, a hole, a very, very large hole, Grand Canyon. Uh, I can't believe that on a road trip, on a, you see one of these great national parks and there's so many highlights and this is what you come away with. And yet, on the road trip that the Israelites are on, that's a lot of what's going on. When was the last time you took a road trip? Was there complaining? I will tell you about one of mine. I'm going to try to go through this really fast. It's it's not a fast trip. We left here uh, several years ago, uh, or just before Christmas, to go see family, our family, in Texas for Christmas. When we left, we've, we've made the trip a lot of times. Sometimes we travel, travel, do it all in one day, but that just wears us out. So we decided we're, you know, split it up into two days. We're going to make it to Kansas and spend the night and do the next half the next day. So we left about nine o'clock in the morning here. It began to snow and snow hard and it just got harder and harder. So we're on I-35 headed south and we're driving 30 miles an hour top speed in the ruts, white knuckle, you know, I mean, it's just, you can't hardly see, and sometimes slower than that, and, and, and then we get into Iowa, and, and it's worse, because the plows can't keep up in Minnesota, and you get into Iowa, and we're thinking, we're, I don't know, I just hope we make it, you know, and then we get to the very, I mean, we traveled over 12 hours, and just got through Iowa to the top of Missouri, uh, and at 12 or 13 hours, it took us to go that far, and so we pull off, we find a hotel, I'm exhausted. We get up the next morning, clear skies, blue skies, beautiful, but it's like single digits and, you know, 20 below zero wind chill. And we get in, and we've got this station wagon, and we've got this little trailer behind it, and we've got our four kids, and, and we're traveling down the road, and we get a couple miles down the road, a few miles, and I have a flat on the trailer. So I get out in the weather, and I, I have a spare. I change it, you know, freezing change it, get going again, get into Kansas, and uh, I realized the, the trailer is just, we got another flat, I think, and it's because all the snow from the day before, there was so much snow, it got in the bearings, the bearings froze, they're, they're shot. So I'm in this Orchelin, anybody know what an Orchelin is? It's kind of like a big fleet farm, it's kind of like a small fleet farm, sorry. It's like a small fleet farm, we're at this town in Kansas off the turnpike, off of 35, and we're in this big parking lot, and I'm trying to get parts and change bearings on the trailer so that we can keep going. Tina takes the kids to fast food restaurant. Do you remember which one? I sure don't remember which one because I'm busy. The people at the Orsland store feel so sorry for me that they're like, they can't help me. They don't have the things that I need. But they're like, here, here's the break room. Get in here to warm up. And I had to do that several times. So I find the bearings in town. I replace the bearings. I'm warming up. It takes a while because of that. 
we get back on the road, we're moving again, it's getting later, we get to the border of Oklahoma. First exit, I don't know what it is, uh, first exit there's a gas station, we stop to fill up, pull in underneath the awning, go to the gas station, pay for the gas, and as I'm coming back out, there's this big dark red puddle underneath our station wagon. There's something's wrong with the transmission. Transmission fluid has all just all come out right there. And I'm about had it now. <laughs> and the kids have already had it. Tina's trying to keep them together, but I've about had it now. I go back in to the gas station and I said, I mean, we're, there's just a gas station here right by the freeway. There's, there's no town to speak of. I said, is there a hotel anywhere close to here? And the little lady behind the, at the cash register says, yeah, we've got one. And I, I said, ha, ha, ha. I tried to laugh to humor, but I said, okay, I, really? No, we really have one. And she pointed, and at the end of the big parking lot, there's this little building. There was this little building that had five rooms on one side and five rooms on the other. That, they had this little 10-room hotel. I said, okay, great, I'll take it. Thank you, guy. We get there. We, we get in the room. It's a small room, one full-size bed. Uh, the three ladies take the full-size bed. The three guys sleep on the floor, and there's barely enough floor space for us to sleep on the floor. And the five rooms on one side of the hotel are non-smoking. The five rooms on the other side are smoking. We're in the non-smoking side, and my eyes are burning from the smoke. That's just I think the walls are so thin it's coming through. We spend the night. I don't get a lot of sleep, but we spend the night. Wake up the next morning, call Enterprise. Enterprise brings a rent-a-car for us. I call another place that's going to come and tow the station wagon and get it fixed while we're on our Christmas vacation with our family, and until I'll come back and pick it up. So we rent the car. We, anyway, we finally get there. Three days instead of one or two. Uh, lots of hardship, uh, lots of change, and, and that was that road trip. Now... The reason I tell you a story is, is really because I'm going to tell you a different story at the end. But there's a lot of complaining. There's, things don't go smoothly. That's how it was for the Israelites. When they're leaving their trip and they're going through the desert, things don't go smoothly. So, so we're picking it up. Um, first part of Genesis tells them how to camp. So if you go to the next slide, uh, I kind of messed you up here. So tabernacle in the middle, Levites camped around it, and then three tribes of each. So tribe of Levi was one tribe, so I like this one better. The other one kind of put the three just side by side by side around north, south, east, and west. These put the sides kind of front to back, north, south, east, and west again, and because God told them to camp that way. We don't know if the this tribe goes next to this tribe meant side by side or like this one. I like this one better because of the population of the tribe. Population of the tribe difference kind of makes it look like a cross, which is kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if that's what it was. The main point was God was at the center, right? The main point was the tabernacle where God met Moses, where God spoke to the priests, where God spoke to the people, where they gathered. It was in the center. It was protected. The Levites were around that. The main point is God is standing in the midst of them. We must learn to stand in the Lord's presence and listen to him. I think we forget the way that Numbers tells them to camp the way that Numbers tells them to do it, which tribe is where, where the tabernacle is, where the Levites are, it's so that they understand this important point that we can't miss, and, and we want to do that today. They also told in what order they're to travel. 
Uh, so like when they set out, when the cloud moves, which tribe goes first? I don't know about you. Have you been on a road trip and had anybody uh, argue about who gets the front seat or who does not get the middle in the back seat? You know, in our station wagon with four kids, we actually, that was actually that third seat in the back that folded up backwards and, you know, anyway. So nobody had to be in the middle. We could put kids, spread them out a little bit. But uh, I think if you're one of the Israelites and you're one of the tribes that God tells you, you're going to be at the back. I don't think I would like that. Uh, you got a million people crossing the desert. Uh, there's going to be a lot of dust, especially if you're at the back. And I'm thinking, I would be complaining about that. And they probably did. But the point is, we're on this mission together. We're marching together. We're all in this together. We're marching toward the same goal. And you have to have that attitude so that you don't complain. Um, in chapter 9, they celebrate the Passover for the first time. Because it's been one year. The first Passover was their leaving Egypt. Now it's been one year. They're remembering it. They're celebrating. They're on. They're going through that God has brought us out of Egypt, which was good. All of this, the Passover, the laws in Leviticus, the telling them where to camp, which order to go in, all of this seems to be the way that God is going to keep his people pure and holy. There's a sequence that you find. And so if you're learning to love numbers, the sequence is this. God commands. Second thing that happens is his people disobey. His people. We're not talking about People that are not followers of God disobeying, that's a given, right? We're talking about his people disobey. Third thing is God punishes. And then the last thing is that God provides an intercessor. And you see this sequence over and over again as you read through the book of Numbers. The first 10 chapters show the obedience of the first generation of Israelites. The last 10 chapters show the obedience of the second generation. The last 10 chapters numbers. And in between, you have over and over again this disobedience, different problems with how they disobey God, how they rebel against God, and intercession. All right, so we're going to pick up. So Patrick did this. Patrick said, hey, you've got the first 12 chapters of numbers, and then I'm going to take the rest of it next week, chapters 13 on I, this could be because there's kind of a natural break in the chapter, you know, where they're traveling. And then chapter 13 is the spies. Great story. I would love to preach on that. Uh, but no, I get these first 12 chapters. I don't know if Patrick did this on purpose. I, I'm going to think he did. I'll let you decide. Uh, the first 12 chapters are hard to try and come up with what God is really wanting to do. But this is kind of a snapshot of their journey. This, re, this complaining, this rebellion this disobedience and intercession. And we're going to pick that up in chapters 11 and 12. So the first, first verse of chapter 10, in the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the covenant. So the Israelites set out from the wilderness of Sinai and traveled on from place to place until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. Uh, and then Numbers chapter 11, 4 and 6, or 1 and 2, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So here's, we're going to focus on chapters 11 and 12. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. And then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. 
So here at the very beginning of chapter 11, the people are complaining. We don't know what about. Maybe it's the dust. We're not sure. They don't mention it. But it's serious enough to where God feels like he has to punish them, uh, and he does this. But it's kind of on the edges. It's kind of on the outskirts. This is kind of God's punishment mixed with his grace like he does over and over again in the Torah. Uh, and and some, of, you know, some of the camp is burned. Uh, but when Moses prays for the people, the fire stops, the intercession. All right, that's the first complaint. Complaint number two, verses four. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. So instead of being thankful to God for providing the manna, they are complaining about the things they remember in Egypt. Oh, the meat we had. Oh, the vegetables. Oh, the garlic. Oh, the fish we had. I think we re- they're remembering the fish, but I think they're forgetting some big deals about what they were in Egypt, right? How do you do that? How do you forget some of the most important things? When was the last time you took a road trip with a bunch of people? You know, I led a few groups with some youth groups and stuff. I, I made it a point. I never ask them where they wanted to eat. I never asked them what they wanted to eat because you get, you know, you get 20 people, you get like 18 different answers and then somebody's going to be unhappy. So I just made the decision and I would, and you know what? People weren't happy when I made the decision. They were complaining about what we ate or why we didn't go here or why we didn't go here. And uh, this is exam- uh, this is what the people uh, of Israel are doing. They're complaining about the food they got. They're not thankful for what they get. And they're complaining about what they don't get. Uh, and that makes God unhappy. Uh, these are the first two examples in chapter 11 uh, of, of them complaining. Um, whatever caused the fire and then complaining about food. Maybe they viewed these trials as God not caring. Um, not caring enough. Why do we complain? How do we do? Uh, I think many times it's the same thing. Many times we think of God not caring for us. Uh, It's more understandable when we're complaining about a trial we experience rather than what order we go in or where we sit or what food we eat. Uh, But even then, even if we're complaining about a trial, I think that, you know, Warren Wiersbe said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A lot of things that happened to the Israelites was their faith being tested. A lot of things that happened to us is our faith being tested. And it actually improves us and improves our faith if we let it. Complaining doesn't come every time we experience trial. Uh, it comes when we forget the goodness of God. And, and I think that's the lesson that we have to remember. Um, we, we all experience trial. Uh, and we don't always complain about it. But when we do, it's because we're forgetting what God has already given. They didn't thank God for the manna they had been getting. They started complaining that they didn't get something else. Um, So the third example of complaints uh, is one against leadership. It starts in chapter 11, uh, and then it continues on into chapter 12. So let's look at chapter 11, verse 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men 
who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel, bring to them the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. Uh, I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. Um, God has given these men, these 70, a measure of the spirit that the rest of the people do not have. And then in chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron complain about Moses, their brother. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. That little phrase, but the Lord heard them. It's not a good one. But the Lord heard them. They were complaining and they were criticizing Moses. They were criticizing the leader that God had put before him. But the Lord heard them. In the rest of the chapter, God makes it clear that Moses is still their chosen leader. He punishes Miriam with a skin disease. Uh, Because of that, she has to leave the camp uh, seven days. They stay where they are for those seven days. They don't continue to travel. That's part of God's mercy, I think. She's brought back into camp, accepted back in. So there is punishment. There is grace. All of this is there for Miriam. Um, And we see that before they start traveling again. So when Moses is the only leader, that's not a good situation for the people. That's not a good situation for Moses. So God says, hey, we're going to make it better for Moses. We're going to make it better for the rest of the people. And now multiple leaders is not a good situation because now there's a little selfish ambition going on. And there's a little, hey, why, why is it only Moses? We, God speaks through us too. Why do, uh, and, and there's a little bit of competition there. And that is not the right attitude. Anytime we have that, it's because of our own selfishness, um, whether we want to admit that or not. Most of the time our disagreements with others are because we only see things from our perspective and we don't stop and try to see things from their perspective. We do not consider or put them first. All three of these complaints, so the very beginning, the, the one about the food, the fire, whatever caused the fire, the food, and now this complaint of leadership is all rebellion and it's all centered in that. Um, people do not trust God. They're not trusting Moses. They're rebelling against both. Many people do not like God telling us what is truth, telling us how to live. Uh, They think, what if God doesn't have a plan for us? What if I don't like his plan? What if I don't appreciate what he is saying? Uh, I, I think it's hard because, you know, we have God's law, and then we look at it, and we look at Genesis, and in you know, the Old Testament creation, or we look at these laws in Leviticus, and then we're like, nope, I don't like that. Let's, let's leave that one out. This one's okay. And then we get over here to, you know, Psalms. Oh, that's all right. I like that. And then we get, you know, some of the more, no, I don't like the way God did that. And we tear that up and we throw that. And then we get to the New Testament. Well, that's the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament. You know, I really would rather not I don't like it that Jesus said that. I don't like it that Paul says this and emphasizes this. And that's the people rebelling against God. 
And we think, oh, they shouldn't have done that. Uh, how could they do that after everything God has done for them? Um, and yet we sometimes do the same thing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. And I want to say, uh, again, I want to repeat the verse that Alex read. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Uh, the problem is I tend to pick and choose. I tend to uh, think I know better. Uh, I'm reading through the Bible and I'm picking the laws I like or I pick the situations I like. I pick the way I I like, and then the ones I don't, I, I, I want to say they don't apply anymore. So the problem is, who do I listen to? Who do I trust? The characteristic of God that Patrick brought out in, in Leviticus is his holiness. And holiness is found in God alone. I don't have it. If his people, if the people of God are characterized by anything in the Torah, it's by their rebellion. That's, that's where I am. So I need a guide and a moral standard outside of myself. I don't always want it, but that's what I need. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. Verse 10, the law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or who are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Life is not a question mark with no clear purpose or direction. If you want to know why you are on this earth, you must begin with God. If you start anywhere else, it'll lead you somewhere. But it's a dead end. The message of numbers illustrates the way. We have a loving God who always keeps his promises. He always stays close by our side. When we mess up, he provides a path to restoration. And there is a plan. Even Moses can't intercede for himself. Uh, one of the verses we read, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, says that Moses was the most humble man on earth. But even Moses can't intercede for himself. He has provided another intercessor. His name is Jesus. And he is preparing our place of rest. Can I tell you about another road trip I took? It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. <laughs> so I'm in Thailand. And it's our first year there. We're in the middle of language school. We don't really know the language really well. And me and one of my teammates, Tim Walter, 
where we go with these Thai Christians. There's about 18 of us all together in two vans, and we're going to go on this kind of gospel meeting mission trip to another part of Thailand and, and preach there and be a part of this meeting. And, and we head out, and we're, uh, uh, we're in the uh, first van, uh, and, and, you know, some Thai friends are driving, and Tim and I are sitting in the next seat, and there's two more seats behind us. It holds about 10 people. They're kind of little mini Toyota minivans, but not like anything you see here in the States. And uh, they drive on the left side of the road over there. So we're, we're driving. We're outside of Bangkok. We've been traveling about an hour and a half, uh, two-lane highway. Roads aren't the best in Thailand. And, 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 then, and our driver just gets a little bit too far to the left where two tires fall off on the shoulder. Uh, the, and there's, you know, it's not a smooth shoulder. There's a little bit of a drop-off. So when he gets back on, it kind of jumps back on and it starts rocking. And we start fishtailing. He's driving about 60 miles an hour, 100 kilometers an hour. And, and we start rocking and fishtailing. And it's just this two-lane highway, so there's traffic coming at us. And the next thing I know, after a few of those... We fall over on our side, and we're sliding down the highway on our side. And I'm, I'm looking at the pavement, at the window here, and I'm trying to keep Tim, you know, off of me here. And everybody in the van is trying to do the same thing. I don't know how long we slide. We come to a stop. We all get out. Uh, one young lady who was in the very back corner of the van has a cut elbow where it kind of, when it fell over, broke the glass. She kind of hit harder than everybody else. Um, but we're all okay. And we get out and the other van stops and we're kind of in the ditch on the other side of the highway, not our side. So I don't know how we missed oncoming traffic. And um, I'm looking around and I'm talking to Tim and I'm like, well, so much for this trip. We're an hour and a half outside. Now we're gonna have to call a taxi or a bus or something to load us all back to Bangkok. And these Thai Christians, they get, Beside the van, we lift it, get it back over, just from like 15 of us pushing it. Turn it back over. It won't start. They get a rope, hook it up to the good van, tow us to the next town. We're still, we're not stopping. They tow that van to the next town, and one of the guys with us is like a mechanic. He works for hours, gets it running. So we got it running. Now we're both driving again, kind of like our first trip that kept having problems. We're, we're, you know, we're waiting around. We get to a place. Again, now the good van, the one that didn't wreck, has mechanical problems. We actually tow it with the bad van <laughs> to the next town. We stop, and, and now this is, it's nighttime. We're supposed to be there already again. It's nighttime. I don't know where we are. Tim does know where we are. The Thais know where we are. We have no clue. I don't know what's going on. I'm just along for the ride. I'm just following, right? And we're sleeping on the floor of this house. I don't know whose house it was. I don't know if they knew whose house it was. But somebody there let us sleep on the floor of the house that night. We didn't, again, sleeping on the floor. Not much, you know, but they get it fixed the next morning. Both vans again. We get to where we're going a couple days later than we were supposed to or whatever. I can't remember. A day later, day and a half later. But they're they're happy to see us. We have kind of a gospel meeting. Two people are baptized. We get back to Bangkok. We, we make it back, you know, after a few days, and, and everything's great. So in those two trips, uh, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of trials. I end up sleeping on the floor. There's a lot of car problems. There's, there's probably some complaining. Things don't go smoothly. And yet in the second one, 
because I don't know enough to be in charge. I'm at peace. In the first one, when I feel like I'm in charge and I'm responsible, I'm a little stressed. And I want to tell you that the message of numbers is God saying, let me lead you. Let me guide you. I know what, I know everything. Uh, and you know what? I should have enough confidence built up on being youth, being thankful for what I have done, that you'll trust me through the trials. It's such a more peaceful way to live. Hebrews chapter 4. So Alex read from Hebrews 3. We're going to close with Hebrews 4. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. That's the first generation of Israelites in the first 10 chapters of Numbers. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. We read that verse about the word of God being living and active and powerful, and sometimes we forget the context of his people disobeying, of his people rebelling, of his people sinning, his people not trusting in him, and God just wants us to do that. I'm going to invite the praise team back up. Um, trust God. He is faithful. Trust the leaders he has appointed. Trust his word. And trust in the intercessor. He has appointed Jesus. Let's stand and sing.